Would you turn please to Matthew this morning? Matthew the 16th chapter. Matthew 16. We've been on the subject for some weeks now. The subject, the title of the series is called The Church. The Church. And we're saying the church is not just a Sunday thing. Church is not just a Sunday thing. Millions think it is, but it's much, 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 much more. Matthew 16 and verse 13, when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? Who are people saying I am? And they said, well, some people say you John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're Jeremiah. Or some people say you're one of the prophets. And he did not get into any debate about any of those things. But he said what? Whom say you that I am? Don't let people uh, play intellectual with you. And argue and go into great unnecessary detail about nothing. Just stop them and go, what do you believe? And if they want to go off on tangents that they believe part of this or part of that, just stop and go, "Mm, what do you do? What do you do? What you believe and what you do is what you are. Nothing more important about you than what you believe and what you do. Now, many people don't see that. They don't see how important what you believe is. You say, well, you know, I don't think it's all that important. You know, I don't get involved in those things and I don't go to church and, you know, I don't think what you believe is all that important. All the things you're doing, you're doing because of what you believe. You either believe in God or you don't or... And if you don't believe in God, what is your standard of right and wrong, of good and evil? Everything you do comes back to what you believe. Everything. And you don't know what to believe unless you get in this book. And if you're not believing this, you're believing wrong. People say, what about all the other religions? We do not acknowledge them. Oh, 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 that's narrow. Oh, that's. I can't be a Christian and acknowledge another God. I can't be. If you acknowledge that there are other gods besides the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you are not a Christian. And if you acknowledge that there's any other way to salvation in heaven and God the Father, except through the one and only Jesus, then you are not a Christian. You're something, but you're not a Christian. (laughs) Well, I observe a basic Judeo-Christian reference. (laughs) You're lost. It's got to be personal. 
Jesus. What did he say? Whom do you say? I am. And friend, this is one of the most important things in life with every man and woman. What do you say about Jesus? What do you believe about him? And what have you done with that? That determines your eternal condition. What did he say? Whom say you that I am? Simon Peter answered, he said, and he didn't mince words. And there were times when he messed up and he got both feet in his mouth and and he just piped up when he should have been quiet. But this is one time he got it right. He heard from God and he didn't hesitate. He said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Woo, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Jesus looked at him, and there were times he had to say, get behind me, Peter. Not this time. This time he said, Peter, mm, you did not get that from flesh and blood. You got that straight from the Father. It's revelation, brother. You got that straight from God the Father. Everybody said out loud, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Said out loud, Jesus, Jesus is, is the, Christ, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and my Lord. Glory to God. All this is so important. You, you must not be ambiguous about this. You must not be frivolous or look at this lightly. This is it. Jesus is everything to everybody. He is the anointed one, the one who was to come, the savior of all mankind. He is the redeemer. He is the son of the living God, not some dead rock, the living God who made all things. Verse 18, when he said flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, he said, I say also to you, you are Peter. That's a word for stone that means stone that men might be able to move. And upon this rock, that's a different word. That's rock like mountain. On this rock, I will build my church. What rock? What were they talking about? The rock of the Christ, the son of the living God. Who is the foundation of the church? No, it's not Peter. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. On this rock, I, I, Jesus, will build my church And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We've been talking about the church for some weeks now. And the Lord is interested in building his church. How much of a priority do you think it is to him? How important is this to him? His building his church. Notice how personal he says it. He says on this rock I am going to build my church. I like it when he calls us his church. Don't you? I like it when he says, I'm going to. He didn't say, I'm going to send an angel. He said, I'm going to do this thing. Who? Jesus, the Christ, the head of the church. He said, I am going to build my church on this rock, this immovable mountain. How many know uh, Daniel saw in a vision all the kingdoms of the world that came up, the head of gold and the chest of silver and and the legs of iron and and mixed. And then he saw, these represented all the kingdoms of the world and from then throughout the future. He said, I saw a great stone cut out without hands. 
Oh, it was like a mountain. And it came and it hit that thing and it made it into dust and that thing lasted forever. What is that great mountain stone? It's this. It's this. It's what the church is built on. It's the kingdom of God that shall never, ever end. And who's in the kingdom? You're in the kingdom. And the kingdom's in you. You are the kingdom. You, you are the church. Oh, we don't know what that means. We don't know what that means. But in days to come, in the eons to come, you and I are going to be the ones robed in the righteousness of God. We're going to be the ones with His name in us and on us. And people are going to look at us and created beings are going to look at us. They're going to say, who are those? Who are those? They go, that's the church. They ride with Him. They live with Him. He lives with them. Yeah, yeah. We're His. We're His church. Well, right now, it's being built, and it is not completed. When you see folks that are lost and don't know God, you ought to think, building materials. (laughs) Because when the last living stone is sealed into place, and the church is finished, this thing's going to be done. And the Lord's going to come back, and He's going to inhabit the church with all of His glory forever. Should you and I be very, very interested and focused on working with him to build his church? Oh, we should be. We should be. And when we say his church, we're not just talking about one or two or three local assemblies. You and I are, and this church is part of the church. And we gave you some figures some time back. I mean, compared to all the believers that we know about that are professing on the planet, we are litty bitties. I mean, small part, but thank God we're a part. Millions and millions and millions and millions and millions on the earth and millions already in heaven. The church is big, but it's supposed to get a lot bigger. The Lord is building his church. Now, I want you to go with me today to Ephesians, please. Ephesians And the third chapter, we talked about the church, some things about the purpose of the church, some things about what the church is. What is the church? The church are those who are called out and called together. The church is the uh, those written, the Bible says, in heaven. Those written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible also calls the church the body. Those terms are used interchangeably. The body of Christ and the church. The church is also called the bride of Christ. And our relationship uh, between us and the Lord is compared to that of a husband and a wife. And I want us to talk more about that today. And get into some specifics about the purpose of the church. What is the Lord doing with his church? What does he want his church to accomplish in the earth? He wants it to be built. We know that. He is at work by the spirit of God. By his word. By his angels. By us. Building the church. Now building means increasing it numerically. Bringing people in that have not been born again, but then also those who are already in, building them up strength-wise and in growing them up in every way. 
So he is building his church. How many know the Lord loves his church and is building his church? Do you understand? The devil hates the church and seeks to destroy the church. That's his objective. That's his work. But what did Jesus say? On this rock, I'm going to build my church. And what? He didn't say the devil wouldn't try to hurt us and tear us apart. But what did he say? The gates of hell, all the authority and all the power of hell shall not prevail. Will not be successful. And there's two sides of that, especially if you read it in the Amplified, if you look up the words. One, the gates of hell shall not be able to prevail over us. But then another meaning of that is the gates of hell, the authority and power of hell, will not be able to hold out against us. The church is not just to be defensive. The church is to be offensive. And what's behind those gates of hell? Well, there are millions of people whose minds are in darkness and held in bondage. And all the power of the enemy is not strong enough to keep us from getting them. And getting them out of that and into the church. And no power and work of the enemy is strong enough to just come in and overwhelm us and defeat us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And if God be for us, who? you could say like this, what difference does it make? (laughs) Who's against you? If God's for you, you cannot be defeated. Because to defeat you, you'd have to defeat God if he's for you. And glory to God, he is. And you know, if you want what God wants for the same reasons he wants it, you become unconquerable. You become undefeatable. Why? Because you become one with him. I want to go over that again. If you, I'll say like this, if you desire what God desires for the same reasons he desires, you become one with him. You become unstoppable. You become undefeatable. Oh, do do you hear that? Do you like that? You become unconquerable. That's why you become more than a conqueror. An overcomer. One who triumphs always. You're one with him. In Ephesians. Well, let's begin in the first chapter. Ephesians 1. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us. With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted In the beloved. Now, I'm going to keep reading, but I want to draw your attention to the word concerning glory. You're going to see this word come up again and again. Don't let it just go past you because you've heard this and read this. Have you ever studied the subject of glory in the Bible? It is big. I mean, it is gigantous, humongous big. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, I mean, if you just put the word glory in your concordant search, you're going to come back with about 500 references just like that. 
And if you try to look up the other words that are translated glory, it's sometimes the same word. It just keeps increasing from there and expanding from there. Big, big, big. God is called the God of glory. Somebody say glory. God is called the God of glory. Now keep that in mind while we keep reading. He said we've been called, we've been chosen, we've been predestinated to what? Verse 6. To what? To the praise of the glory of His grace. Wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Man, I, I use that phrase oftentimes in my prayer and talking to the Lord, talking to other people that have just gotten saved or gotten back to God. Do you know what makes you acceptable to the Lord? It's what's already been done in Jesus. It's not your performance. It's not how good a life you can live. If you have faith in Jesus and put your trust in him, you have already been accepted in the beloved. When he accepted Christ, he accepted you. My, my, my. See, nothing the Lord did in his earth walk and in his substitutionary sacrifice did he do for himself. He didn't need it. He did it for you. When he was crucified... You were crucified. When he was scourged, you were scourged. Somebody says, well, I don't know. What do you mean how that? Why was he doing it? Whose sins was he bearing? Whose sicknesses and pains was he carrying? So in him, it was you. This whole thing's about substitution. He took your place. Yes. So that you took his place. When he was judged, you were judged in him. When he was crucified, you were crucified. He did none of this for himself. When he went to the heart of the earth, when he paid the price, it was you. Oh, but glory to God. When he was raised, we were raised. When he was justified, we were justified in him. When he, what he had done was accepted of the father and the father was satisfied with the price that had been paid and the work that had been done. That means he's satisfied with you and me and everyone that would ever put their faith in him. Is it true? Yes. Remember what Paul said? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life I live, glory to God, I don't live in the flesh, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was judged, you were judged. When he paid the price, you paid it. When he was raised from the dead, you have been raised from the dead. I know physically it hasn't happened, but in God it has already happened. And it could not happen in your future if it had not already happened in him. When he was raised and sat at the right hand of majesty on high, you were raised and I and sat down with him. In the place of complete victory, 
complete righteousness and cleanness and holiness you and I were and are in him. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 4. Man, if this don't stir you up, you're not awake or something. Just stay with it. If you're not excited about it, don't throw this away. Keep hearing it. Keep thinking about it until the revelation comes to you of what's going on here. This is, you know, real Christianity is not this dull, dead, boring thing that passes for Christianity in so much of the earth. Oh, no, 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 no. Christianity is the most exciting thing on the planet in all time and eternity. It is the most exciting, the most exhilarating, the the fullest life possible. There is no life outside of him. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich, 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 rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with Christ. When Christ was made alive, were we made alive? The Bible says we were. By grace we're saved. Not based on anything you did. It's just the grace of God. And what else happened? He has raised us up together. When he was raised, were you raised? This is worthy of much meditation. <laughs> Said out loud, when he died, I died. When he was crucified, I was crucified. Now let's just stop right there. What are you talking about? The old man. The man full of sin. The disobedient, rebellious man. Did you hear me? The ungodly man. The guilty man. The man that should have been judged. Was judged. And did die. (laughs) Oh glory to God. That you should no longer live. The rest of your life. Subject to sin. Said out loud. The old man is dead. Dead. Crucified. Buried. The old man is dead. And we were dead in sins, but he has quickened us. He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved and has raised us up together. Together with who? With Jesus. When he was raised, were we raised? And what else? And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When he was sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, are we included in that? Are we in him? Glory to God. We've barely scratched the surface of what this means. Why? That in the ages to come, 
He might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Now, every one of these verses is powerful, but skip on down to chapter 3. Chapter 3. He said, verse 7. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Should we preach about riches? In every way. And to make all men see What is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ? When man fell, sinned against God, disobeyed God, and all was lost, God still loved man. And he wanted still to show the exceeding riches of his grace to man and man's descendants and mankind. But he could not justly do it. It would not have been right. Would not have been just. But he had a plan. That was kept secret. From angels and demons. And men. I mean if you want some things to work out right. You've got to keep it to yourself. So that it can't get out and get messed up. And God kept it. He kept it as a mystery. Even people. Prophets that prophesied about it. They didn't know what it meant. And the angels, the Bible said, desired to look into it. They were there and didn't know what was going on. And most of all, the devil did not know what was going on. God knew how to be able to love his man and bless his man and do everything he wanted to for his man anyway. Anyway. Even though man had failed so miserably and disobeyed so fully. God became man and dwelt on the earth. And the Bible said the law was given uh, through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was and is the exact image of the glory of God. And John said, we saw his glory. (laughs) We handled it. We saw him, we heard him, we touched him. The glory of God. And that glory and that life and that light was manifested. And he took our place. I said he took our place completely. And as he did, the devil thought this was his final big hurrah. He thought he was doing it now. He was going to kill the son of God. Oh, yeah. He thought, "Uh uh-oh, God the Father has slipped up some way, and I have got access to Jesus the Son, and I am taking him out. And didn't know God had it planned since before the garden. And that he was playing right into the hands of the Almighty. The Bible says if the devil had known... If the demons had known 
What was going on? They would not have crucified who? The Lord of glory. They would not have done it. But they didn't know. (laughs) And they just went right on into it. And they motivated men and manifested through people. And they mocked him and judged him and they scourged him and they crucified him and they killed him. And they thought they had done it. But they did not know what they had taken would destroy them forever. And at the end of three days and nights, justice was satisfied. The price had been paid. Oh, glory to God. The price had been paid. For every sin that every man, every woman had ever done or ever would do. Paid. Paid. And God the Father spoke from the throne of heaven. And he said, this is my beloved son. Today I begot. And the son of God was born anew. In the heart of the earth. And it shook hell to the core. And it shook. Glory to God. He got the keys of death. And hell. And the grave. And he right come up out of there. And he got back in his body. And it was glorified from top to bottom. And they saw him. He said don't touch me. Don't touch me. I hadn't gone to the father yet. But you go and tell the disciples, tell the people, I'm going to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Why can he say that now? Because what had happened in Adam and Eve has been undone. It has been undone. The wall of separation has been torn down. Oh, glory to God. And the Bible said he entered in to the holy of holies, not on the earth, in heaven. The real holy of holies that that one was patterned after. And he came in there with his own blood. Oh, glory to God. And he put it on the altar and he made an eternal redemption. And bought us for all time and eternity. And the Bible tells us that God the Father, who is righteous above all, was satisfied with that and accepted that. And when he did that, he accepted you. Because Jesus did none of this for himself. He didn't need it. He did it all for you and me taking our place. He did it as a man. Glory to God. Now, why did I go into all that? Well, I'd like to if I didn't have a reason. Because <laughs> it's just, it doesn't get any better than that. But keep reading and you'll see why. He said, Ephesians 3, he said, verse 8, to me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable Riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world had been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, now, 
unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church. The manifold wisdom of God. What is the purpose of the church in the earth? Well, the Lord's building his church. His purpose is to build this church. To bring the millions in who don't know him into the church and the church be built. And then those with the millions that are already there to all be built up unto full maturity and Christ-like perfection. He's building his church. Well, then what is he doing, though, with the church that he's building? What is his purpose? What does he want to happen with the church other than it being built up? He intends that through the church... Oh, this is big, friends. Through the church, his manifold wisdom be revealed and be shown and be demonstrated. Hallelujah. To the heavens and to the earth. Oh, do you see this? Look at verse 10 again. To the intent. That now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Now skip on down to verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us now this is above he's able to do above what we ask or think but it's not don't assume that it's completely separated from us it is connected with us what he's able to do he's able to do beyond above and beyond what we've asked or thought because we're limited in our understanding but our insides are not limited Power can work in us beyond what we understand with our head. Beyond what we know how to ask or think. Don't you thank God for speaking in tongues? You can pray out things bigger than you'd ever be able to think. Greater than you'd ever be able to ask and describe. But you can have inside you a power working stronger than anything that's in your head or in your past experience. And according to that power... He's able to do. But now read the next verse. Read the next verse. All this is happening to what end? Verse 21. To what end? He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Unto him be glory where? In In the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, throughout all, not just down here on the earth, throughout all the ages to come, God's intent with the church is that people look at us and go, glory to Jesus. They look at us and go, glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. What is his intent? To get glory through us. In us. By us. Can you say amen? Go to 1 Corinthians please. The uh, 11th chapter. 
I think we're about to get excited. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> That's all right. First Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11. The Bible says, the, uh, well, let me just skip down to verse 7. First Corinthians 11, 7. A man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and what? Glory. And glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. Say that out loud, that last phrase. The woman is the glory of the man. Now, he don't get confused or spread this out. He's talking about husband and wife. Don't take it out beyond the context. He's talking about husband and wife. The wife is the glory of the husband. She is his glory. Why would we say that? Well, if you read in Ephesians, if you've read your Bible, you know it. The Bible says that husbands and wives, a godly marriage is a type of Christ and the church. Are you with me now? The woman is the glory of the man. Now, there are, there have been too many men that didn't know anything about God or the Bible except wives, submit. <laughs> By God, you going to submit to me or there's going to be hell to pay. <laughs> you don't know anything about God. I wonder if you're even saved. The Lord never told the man anything about his wife submitting. That's too weak. Men, husbands, the Lord never said one word to you, anything to you about your wife submitting to you. Nothing. That is not your area. It is not your responsibility. He was not talking to you when he said, wives, submit. Hmm? And you're not to have anything to say about it. Well, what if they won't submit? Well, then they won't. <laughs> what am I going to do about it? Then you do the same thing the Lord does when his bride doesn't submit. You follow his example. Does he make us submit? Never. Will it cost us if we don't? Yeah. Yeah. But... Because of ignorance and selfishness and people don't even know God, they have tried to treat their wife as inferior and, you know, uh, she ought to just be seen and not heard and barefoot and pregnant and home and she don't know anything and she can't say anything and treated like an underling, ignorant. Many countries today, this is the way it is. And yet the Bible says that the wife is the man's what? Glory. His glory. Well, the more humiliated, the more maltreated the wife is, is that glorious? No. 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 Does not bring the man glory? No. The full development of the wife. The wife reaching her full potential, her being glorious, glorifies her husband. 
Now there's a lot of people, men and women, men I'm talking about right now, that are so insecure and so fearful that any success their wife would have, they feel threatened by it. And it's because they don't know who they are in Christ. And they don't know, you know, I don't try to be the head of this church under the Lord. I am. I don't try. I'm not working at being the head of my household. I am. I'm not working at it. I'm not trying to be it. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not trying to convince Phyllis. I am. And because I'm secure in my place in God and who I am in him, I don't feel threatened when Phyllis is used of God, when the Lord gives her revelation, when he uses her and gives her things, when he gives her money, when he blesses her, when he uses her. Why? The better she looks, the better I look. She's my glory. Is it true? So if I got any sense, I don't want her held back in any way. I want her to reach her full potential. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, socially, every way. Why? Her development is mine. Her victory is my victory. Why? She's my wife. She's my glory. Can you see that this perverted, twisted thing of I'm going to keep my wife under my thumb and you're going to do what I say and you're not going to threaten me. That has been taught from the pulpits concerning the church and the Lord. That some way or another, if we were strong enough and blessed enough and rich enough, that it would take away from God some way. Did you hear me? So we're supposed to be abject, broke, defeated, that some way or another, us being so low shows how big He is. I want you to know, He knows who He is. He ain't trying to be the head. He is the head. He ain't got one molecule of insecurity about him. And he ain't never been threatened by your success or mine or anybody else's. He is the head of the church. And he's the head of this family. And he's the head of this marriage. But he has ordained that he get glory to himself through through us. Through us. This has not been taught like it needs to be. This has not been understood. You got people still wanting to know, I don't know, is it God's will to heal me? I don't know. Is it God's will to help me pay my bills? Well, I don't know if I don't need that. I can live in this cardboard box. I, I, I can ride this bicycle with a broke chain. If I could just get me a new chain, I'd be fine. People think that gives glory to God. It's ignorant. I said it's ignorant. 
The dumber I am and the broker I am and the sicker I am and more defeated I am. Well, I'm full of sin, but I'm just an old sinner and that just shows the glory of God. Sin does not show the glory of God. The work of the devil does not show the glory of God. Let me tell you what shows the glory of God. You were full of sin, but now you are free from sin and you are glorious. You are victorious. You couldn't feed yourself, but now you're feeding other people. That glorifies God. You were a liar and undependable, but now you're a father to fatherless. You're a leader to those who need leading. You're somebody that can be depended on. That glorifies God. Not failure. Not sin. Not works of destruction. It is the Lord's plan. And he's working it right now to get glory to himself through us. Can you say amen? amen. Turn to Second uh, Corinthians. Second Corinthians, the third chapter. My, my, my. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. What are you saying? Glory, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. God has ordained that he be glorified in the church, not just right now, now and in the ages to come. I get glimpses in my spirit of our future. What is glory? But you know, maybe I should touch on that just a little bit. What is glory? We use the word, but I don't think we know much about it. These are words that are translated from the Hebrew and Greek and original words for glory. It's translated splendor, splendor, brightness. Magnificence, excellence, dignity, grace, glory, majesty, perfection. How many can see this is something that's hard for men to describe? (laughs) We're using all these How many understand these are not secondary words. These are the highest words we know how to use. When we say splendor. Huh? When we say magnificent. Excellent. Perfect. You know how to say anything any higher than that? What's happening is our vocabulary is failing. To express this. I wrote this down last night. I've thought about, said similar things to this before. What is glory? Glory is what God is on the inside. (laughs) Somebody know that helps me to get a handle on. Glory, that's Jesus' insides. That's his insides. What is he? He's wall to wall. Splendor, brightness, magnificence, excellence, 
honor and grace and majesty and perfection. And you got to start talking in tongues and, and you can't tell it all because it's God and it's what he is on the inside. And that is what you and I are predestined to. That is what his purpose is to manifest through us for the whole world and the heavens to see is his insides in us and through us. So that when people see us, they see splendor and brightness and magnificence and honor and majesty and perfection. And they don't know how to say it and they just go, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. It's not how beat down and broken, defeated we are. God intends that people that don't know him at all would look at us and just be amazed and go, you're something. You're amazed. You say, you think we're something? You ought to see our God. This glory that you're seeing, it's him. It's him manifesting on us and through us. What are we talking about? God is good. It's his goodness manifested. God is light. God is love. God is holy. Right? God is righteous. What we're talking about when people see the lives of goodness and fairness and victory and light. Are you with me? They're seeing God. They're seeing the glory of God. Jesus, Hebrews says, is the express, exact manifestation and image of his image and of his glory. So much so that at the end of his life, what did he say? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Not because he is the Father. No, some people try to say that, but that's not true. Too many scriptures that say otherwise. But why? Because the Father is in him. And he is in the Father. And it was the Father and is the Father's will to manifest God's very insides through this man. (laughs) Well, where are you right now? Hold that place. And go to John 17. This is a good way to wind up the year and... Go into the next. I mean, end it up with glory and take off into the new one with more glory. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. Glory to... What are you saying when you say glory? Huh? You're saying splendor and brightness. How many know in the Old Testament when God would show up, oftentimes what they see? They saw that glory cloud. They saw that light, didn't they? Or they'd see the fire and light of glory. Why? He's always been that. And he'll always be that. Splendor, magnificence, brightness, excellence, preeminence, dignity and honor and grace and majesty and perfection. And I like the Bible word. You just roll it all together and say, glory, glory, glory to God. 
It is God's will in this church and in every church that he be able to manifest himself in his splendid magnificence. That the glory of God just fill the atmosphere and hang over our heads and manifest in us and on us and in our seats. To the point that his presence is so real to us that we just slide down in our chair and just go, oh, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. And it seems like it's been a few minutes and you look up and it's 730 in the evening and you go, whoa, glory to God, glory to God. This is what eternity is going to be like. The ages are going to pass and nobody will care. Because the Bible said, in the place where you and I are going, there is no sun. (laughs) There is no sun. There is no moon. There are no light bulbs. No light bulbs. Don't need any electricity. But it's not dark. It's always light. There's no night there. There's no dark. There's no shadows there. Why? Because the glory of God, the glory of the Lamb is the light. Glory to God. (laughs) Oh, my, my. John 17. Jesus is about... I mean, he is just before offering himself up. He has completed his earthly ministry of teaching and preaching and doing what the Lord told him to do as our example. And now he's about to complete the work as our substitutionary sacrifice. And he is not ignorant of it. He knows it. He has seen himself in the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah. He knows what's about to happen to him fully. He's aware of it. And he goes to prayer before the Father before he finishes this phase. And this prayer in John 17, have you read it? Would you like to kneel down beside Jesus and listen to him pray? (laughs) Think you'd learn anything? You can Just kneel down and read chapter 17 out loud and you're hearing Jesus pray. At this hour of his life, of all the things he could have been praying about, listen to what he prayed for. John 17, 1. These words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. This is it. We're here. Oh, glory to God. What every prophecy and every sign and every wonder and every miracle since the Garden of Eden had been building up towards. We're here. Father, the hour is come. What did he say? Glorify your son. Who? Him. Glorify your son. Me. That sounds strange to us. What's the next phrase? That the Son may glorify you. See, people have not put this together. 
They thought, oh, oh, no glory to me, no glory with me, all glory to God. He wants to glorify you so that he gets the glory out of you. Do you see this now? Keep reading, it becomes clearer and clearer. As you've given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is life eternal that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth and I have finished the work that you gave me to do. That's what he did in the earth. We are his church. We are, he's the head, we are his body. What are we to be doing? Same thing. Same thing. Our purpose of existence is to glorify him. To glorify him. If it doesn't glorify God, get it out of your life. If it doesn't glorify God in this church, let's not do it. Let's eliminate it. Let's get away from it. Glorify him. To glorify him. I've glorified you. Verse 5. Now, O Father. what He says it again. What? Glorify thou me with your own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is what God has always been before there was a world. This glory. Oh, hallelujah. Skip down to verse 17. He says, sanctify them, his followers, through your word. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, even so I also have sent them into the world. Why was he sent? For the glory of God the Father. Why are we sent? Same thing. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. We are reading John's words right now. We have come to believe on him through their words. So he was praying for you in verse 20. He was praying for me and for you right here, right now. What did he pray? Now listen, this is praying specifically for you. Jesus prayed verse 21, what? That they all may be one. If there's no unity, there is no church. We're not just the called ones. We are the called together ones. That they may be one. One as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you've sent me. And, and, oh no, you got to hold on to your chair on this one now. And the glory which you gave me, I have given to them. We haven't seen this. We we haven't lived in this like we're supposed to. The glory that you gave me, Jesus is talking to his father. I have given that glory you gave me to them. Them who? He just got through saying he's specifically talking about all of us who would come to believe through their words. That they may be one, even as we are one, they are one in the glory. They live in that glory. They are that glory. And friends, in that glory, you go, this is where I want to stay forever. I never want to leave this. This is where I live from now on. 
in this splendor, this magnificence, this perfection, this glory is what lights heaven. It's how you can see in heaven. You see by the glory. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you've sent me and you've loved them as you have loved me. Father, I will that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Where is he? He's in glory. One verse says he's in glory. Where are you going to be then? In glory. glory. That they may do what? That they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. What is our future? Glory. Glory. What's happening right now? Well, that's where 2 Corinthians comes in. Go to 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I got more of this in me than I can tell you. It's bigger than I know how to say. Well, it's God. So that shouldn't be surprising. What is God on the inside? He's glory. He's glory. He's perfection. He's light. He's love. He's splendor. He's magnificence. How do people see him in the earth that don't know him? They're supposed to see that splendor and magnificence in us. They're supposed to see that righteousness and goodness in us. And it's not the dollar we are. Hmm? We are not to be a dumb, ugly, rude, crude, uncouth, broke, sick wife. What kind of wife should the Lord have? Who would be up to being his wife? What kind of wife should he have? Somebody scared, cowering in the background? Huh? That every time he moves his hand, they jump and they shake and they move back. And, oh, 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 oh. A wife that is glorious. Glorious. Somebody that Jesus, the master, the Lord himself has no hesitation or reservation about going. My bride. Your bride. My bride. Your bride. My bride. Who? The church. My bride. How many know you don't marry somebody that can't even understand you? That doesn't have a fraction of your capacity or ability? That's not somebody you want to spend your days and nights with and your life with. You want somebody that can understand you and think on your level and believe on your level and operate in your, at your vision. We are, are the bride of Christ. And we're not all that we shall be. But we're headed that way. I said we're headed that way. 
Glory to God. Glory to God. Second Corinthians 3. I think I can close with this. We shall see. Second Corinthians 3. Verse 6. Second Corinthians 3, 6 says, He's made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious or more glorious? Somebody say, greater glory. Greater glory. He's comparing the first covenant, the old covenant, to the new covenant. When God entered into covenant with his people Israel that he delivered from Egyptian bondage, I mean, it came with power. He came down on the mount and the whole mount burnt with fire. It descended up into heaven. He spoke out of the fire and it shook the earth all around. It shook everybody. He took his finger and he wrote in stone. And when Moses came down off the mount, the, he had been so much in the glory that he, shy, he radiated glory. He was like a walking light bulb. He was. Why? Because he had been around glory. He had been in the presence of glory. Oh, can you see it? And that's the way the first covenant came. But you're going to see he's comparing now the glory of this covenant compared to that. And he's saying this is much, much more glorious than that. Keep reading. Keep reading. Verse 9. If the ministration of condemnation, that's the old covenant, the giving of the law. If that be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness Exceed in glory. This is way on out beyond that glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excels. In other words, it doesn't even compare to this glory. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Not as Moses had put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. They couldn't take much glory, could they? They weren't born again. Couldn't take much. Their minds were blinded. Until this day remains the same veil and taken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. It is sad that so many read the Old Testament and don't see Christ. And they don't see Jesus. They got something over them. They can't see it. Veil. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, when anybody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with open face, nothing over our face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror. What are we looking at? What are we looking at? As we're looking at the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image of glory. How does it happen? From glory 
to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. This is happening in us. As we see his glory, what happens? As we see and behold and experience his glory, it glorifies us. Like when Moses was in the presence of God and beheld God's glory, what happened to him? He became glorious. Oh, come on, come on. Can you see this? He became glorious. And when he came down, did the people see the glory of God? But who were they looking at? Moses. But what were they seeing? The glory of God. Did that glorify God? Yes. But they're looking at Moses. And the Bible tells you and me right here that this new covenant, that doesn't even compare to this. This is so much more glorious than that. It doesn't compare. And that was temporary. This is forever. Oh, my, my. My, my, my. What's God's will for 2007? He's a building his church. He's a building his church. And what is his purpose in his church? To get glory to himself through his bride, through his church. How are we going to become more glorious? We must see his glory. Just like Moses did. Just like that we must behold the glory. We must stir ourselves up. And believe God to see the glory of God in 2007 beyond what we have seen it in times previous. Can we believe God? Can we hunger for it? Can we desire and hunger to see his glory? How would we see his glory? We see his glory in people getting saved. We see his glory in people getting back to God. We see his glory in people getting filled with the Spirit. We see his glory in people getting healed. We see his glory in miracles and signs and wonders. Don't we? We see his glory in prosperity. In deliverance from financial issues and problems. We see his glory. We see his glory. And as we behold his glory, what happens? It gets on us. It gets on us. And the more, how many think it would please God very well if you and I had such services? We had such services where we got permeated and saturated by the glory and presence of God that even on Monday morning when we came to work, people would go, and you'd go, what? And they'd go, oh, nothing, I don't know. What? What have you been doing? You look different. He's got light shining on his face. Is there a bulb shining on him? And you don't see any bulb? What's so full of love? So full of truth. So full of grace. So full of the goodness of God. They're looking at you. But what are they seeing? They're seeing the glory of God. And that glorifies God. Listen to this in closing. Fourth chapter. This all flows together through this whole fourth chapter. But it says, verse 6, verse 6, verse 6 of chapter 4, 4, 6. For God, 
who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. How many know that's glorious? How many would have liked to have been, you know, hanging around beside God when the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and you were standing there beside him when you heard him say, light be. Think that was glorious? <laughs> Would you like to have seen light created? He said God commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. He has now shined in our hearts. What happened then is not as big as what's happening now. I'm going to give you a little more detail. He did it again in the spirit when Jesus came. When Jesus was born into the earth, it was another way of saying, but a much bigger, greater way of saying, light be. Because he was and is the light. And the light was manifested to the men. And the glory of God was shown. And people in darkness could now say, I see. God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light Of the knowledge, are you reading with me now? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. But we have this treasure. What treasure? What treasure? The glory of God that's in Jesus is in us because he's in us. We've got this treasure in earthen vessels, in these little mud pot bodies that need to be changed so bad and will be. But even right now, not when we get to heaven, right now, we have the treasure of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in these earthen vessels that the excellency Excellence. It sounds like glory, doesn't it? The excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Stand on your feet, please. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.